Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. This content factory we call The Rich Eisen Show. This is The Rich Eisen Show. And if you don't have a, a sense of excitement about this, I don't know what you're here for. The Rich Eisen Show. I can't tell you enough how much I love your show. With guest hosts, Ben Lyons and Ryan Leaf. Boom! Live. Boom! From The Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. The Rich Eisen brand is really hot. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and now... Sitting in for Rich. We're ready for any challenge. Here's Ben Lyons and Ryan Leaf. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Rich Eisen Show. Another day here with Ryan Leaf. Ben Lyons filling in for Rich. We appreciate all of you guys listening to us and rocking out and hanging out with us today. Ryan's already beasted Runyon Canyon. It's only 9 a.m. here on the West Coast. For those who don't know, Runyon Canyon... A very large hill, a very small mountain, however you want to look at it, right in the heart of Hollywood. And uh, this guy's at 6 a.m. He's not only beasting Runyon Canyon, as I've come to found out, find out, but he's also serenading the other hikers <laughs> on the way. Imagine you're going for a morning walk, a morning jog, trying to get some fitness in, and you see the former number two pick coming up the mountain screaming. What were you singing this morning? What was on the playlist? I was in an Eli Young band mood this morning, so it was really kind of a you know steel guitar country music. So they were like, "What you know this?" And I you know, and it's cold, so I'm in like full leggings. I got like black leggings down to my ankles, and you know, I, I was gonna stay warm on my hike. So I kind of looked like a bandit singing some uh, country music, and I got some I got some funny looks. But I tell you what, boy, it just op- it just. It just gave you a ton of gratitude this morning, I tell you. And uh, knowing I got to come back and do this show, awesome opportunity that Rich affords us when he's gone. Uh, talk sports, got some awesome guests. Yeah, I, I, I'm really really in a lot of gratitude right now today. Ryan Leaf and Ben Lyons filling in for Rich here. And you're absolutely, absolutely right, Ryan, to have this opportunity to be able to hang out over the next few hours and talk sports, not only with you, but we're going to open up the phones today to our listeners, 844-204-RICH, because I know a lot of people are always hitting you up on social media They're in your replies and your mentions and your DMs, asking you for <laughs> life advice, sharing their life stories. So we're going to connect with some people today a little bit on uh, later on in the show. We've got some big guests coming on as well. We're going to talk all things NBA with Tim Legler. He's calling in at around 920 here on the West Coast, 1220 back east. We're going to have Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network, who I know you're a huge fan of, does a great job breaking down all the numbers behind the game, and, and we'll talk to her coming up at 1020 here, Pacific. And then uh, a little bit uh, for the third hour of the show, we're going to have the most excited man in the world. 
He's not very tell interesting. You who it is. He's very yeah, interesting. Not gonna, he's not, not the most you. interesting man in the world, but he's definitely the most excited. And so we're fired up to have him <laughs> later on. And today's a special day, Ryan, because today is the is the birthday of not one goat, but two. Michael Jordan, of course, turns 58 years young today. Everybody knows that today's MJ's birthday. But uh, for younger generations that didn't have the privilege of seeing Jim Brown, it's important we pay respect to arguably the greatest football player of all time. And I'll even throw that with the latest news of Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. I'll even throw that in there. Jim Brown, despite retiring at the age of 29, the greatest football player of all time, he turns 85 years young. And I thought the idea, Ryan, to start the show, just, you know, when you hear that it's the birthday of these two icons of sport, um, they are the reasons why guys like you and I fall in love with sports. At a young age, you're enamored with these athletes. You're enamored with what they can do on the field. And I wanted to be like Mike, even though I was a Knicks fan, and he would crush us in the garden all the time. So many of my May and, 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 and you know springtime memories are filled with tears because of Michael Jordan. Yet, I still wear his sneakers, and I love the man. I almost equate it to my dad, who's a diehard Red Sox fan, his love of Joe DiMaggio and the respect he had for Joe D, the Yankee Clipper. Um what were some of your first sports memories? Who were the athletes, Ryan, as a kid growing up in Montana that made you want to pick up a ball, made you want to pick up a stick and get out there and play? Yeah, it, you know, basketball was probably the first love when it came to Terry Bradshaw on the football side. I was a Pitt, Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so Terry Bradshaw, I wanted to be be him. Lewis Lips, um, I don't know if anybody remembers that guy's name. He was a wide receiver for him. Uh, Raider Art knows knows lips for sure. Yep, and uh, uh, then moved on to you know the basketball side, Magic Johnson, and then um, like Byron Scott. Byron Scott for me was I just I always loved how a guy kind of undersized would get up and dunk in that Showtime basketball on the on the break when he get a dish from Magic and so the Showtime Lakers. But then Michael Jordan was you know he just stood alone. So I had Jordan posters all over my room. Um, Dominique Wilkins, because the way he could dunk, and I was, you know, was a weirdo in Montana that was that had hops and he could dunk, and people were like, "Whoa, who, what's going on here?" And then it progressed, right? When you got older, it got into you know more relatable guys in terms of your age, and like Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose was my was my hero um, growing up in terms of basketball. And that's what's so amazing about sports, because Ryan, you grew up in Montana. I grew up in the middle of Manhattan in New York City. We could not have grown up in more different environments. Yet the both of us gravitated towards a bald-headed combo (laughs) guard from Detroit who years later, as the twists and turns of my life would unfold, asked me to be in his family on Family Feud. I'm in Jalen Rose's family on Family Feud, and we won. We beat some guy from News Radio. I forget his name. And we won like 50 grand for his school in Detroit, the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. So my love of Jalen Rose not only started as a young kid, but I've been very fortunate as as an older man to, I guess, be a part of his family. And that's the power of sports is that you can connect people and bring people together. And we're reminded of that on a day that honors, you know, Michael Jordan and Jim Brown. Uh, these are the two greatest athletes uh, of of all time, according to some. And they're the big reason why guys like you and I fell in love with the game in the first place. And, you know, for those who, who want to go down the road of the Jordan-LeBron debate, this is not the place for that. We're, we're not going to do that today. But for those who are a little younger, perhaps, and didn't get a chance to see Mike play and didn't know him beyond simply the sneakers and maybe some highlights, 
to you, Ryan, like how do you describe to a younger sports fan of just how iconic, how big, how relevant Michael Jordan was at his heyday? Oh, it's it's I I can't. I mean, like to your point, like you growing up in the middle of Manhattan, me growing up in the middle of Montana was still iconic to to both. Um, he's the he's the. There's just so much content these days. If LeBron played in that era, it may be a different story. You may view LeBron James differently than the way we view Michael Jordan because there was just no way other ways to consume it. It was just all all in. You know, it was all in. There wasn't like another avenues or to to hear from other players. I mean, it was it was Rashad you know, Ahmad Rashad following uh, Michael Jordan around and just interviewing him all day. You know, all day long, living with him. Who cares how that went? You know. I and, remember uh, that footage of Michael Jordan throwing a football to Ahmad Rashad in his backyard yeah. being like, wow, is he, is he the greatest quarterback on earth as well? <laughs> he might be. Why he's, probably is, the why, best, he's probably the best quarterback in Chicago since Jim McMahon. I, was, I, I asked a different question. I was, like, it, I was like, is Ahmad Rashad either, is he living with him or is he like, has he been kidnapped and he, he's a hostage in the house Is he in his family like Ben is yeah. in Jalen Rose's family? Yes. <laughs> That's what I'd wonder. But it, uh, his impact, right? And then the shoes. The shoes. The Jordan brand shoes. Was Every kid wanted them. They, they wanted a pair of Jordans. I remember the first pair I got, um, you know, because they were so expensive, right? I remember they were like 125 bucks or something like that. And we just we couldn't afford that. And I remember when dad and mom brought them home to me or took me to go get them, I think my freshman year of high school, I was just like, oh, wow. Oh, you know. But then I kind of, you know, then I was like, I was not, I didn't like to be like everybody else. Everybody else wanted the Jordan shoes. So then all of a sudden I was like, you know, Scotty Pippen's the man. He's, he's the real man. And, and Pip came out with some shoes that were badass and they had 33 on them. And that's the, that's the shoe I rocked most of high school was the, was the Scotty Pippen. And, uh, uh I love that thing, man. They, you know, in aspiration inspiration these are themes that we can take away from our favorite athletes and why they make that sort of emotional connection to us and the idea of a young athlete like yourself finding your body finding your strength finding your own power to then see that and touch that and get those shoes and feel almost anointed or knighted in yep. some way uh can do wonders for and then for you feel like person. you could play you know i would wear i'd wear the the i'd wear the knee sleeve on my left knee Folded over just for my Osgood slaughters on my uh, on my on my knee. I feel like Osgood slaughter was a disease that like only existed in the nineties. Does it exist now? Do people have? I'm sure Oshka it does. But, but now they're now they probably have a pill for it. Nobody I'm talks Osgood slaughter. That was a phrase that was such a part of my teenage years. <laughs> but it's those those that the, those your growth plates growing so quickly that that there develops this knee joint pain in your knee. and so I wore this knee sleeve just like Mike, and then I had I had the wristband on on my left forearm just up a little ways, and that was. I would, you know, I didn't, you know, I understood that you used it to wipe your forehead, but I didn't sweat that much. Like, so it was, it was because Mike wore it. You, you have, any, I, you have any real life encounters, or is it just dressing up like him for Halloween, three hundred sixty-five days of the year? Yeah, um, uh, I've had a couple, couple, couple run-ins with him just through the Nike connection. Um, um, Ron Harper, uh, we were playing in golf with Ron, and uh, me and Ron got on, and he's like, dude come out to Chicago. I'm playing with, with Mike next week. So um, I went and did that. That was 1999, I think, maybe. Uh-huh. So you played, um, wait, you played a round of golf with Mike in between Chicago and Washington. Yeah. So 99, yeah. he's retired, but maybe he's thinking, maybe I should get back in there, and maybe a round of golf with Ryan Leaf just lit a fuse. <laughs> 
in the goat. No, you, you probably he, crushed him on the. I don't golf think course. he said. I don't think he said. I don't think he said. Uh, he didn't say many words to me. I know that. It's like who's who's this dude you bring in, bring around here? You know, kind of mentality. Um, <laughs> um, and then at this uh, at Tiger Jam a few times in Vegas, you know, just you know rubbing elbows with those guys with Jeter with Tiger and with with Michael they uh, and Charles. Um, the only one I actually talk to anymore is Barkley, <laughs> so I, I don't know what that means. Um, but uh, uh, now, when you're in the presence of greatness, though, like that, Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich Eisen, and we've got Tim Legler coming on at 9:20 here on the West Coast is going to tell us a few things about uh, about playing against Michael Jordan on his 58th birthday today. But uh, we, you know, when you're in the presence of a lot of stars and then an icon walks in. It's amazing to see the stars turn into fans. Like I, I when I was working at the E channel, I got assigned the coverage of Oprah Winfrey's farewell show at the United center. So I flew to, I flew to Chicago and we're backstage in the press line and it's Madonna, you know, it's Tom Cruise. It's, it's huge stars, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and walks Michael Jordan and just sh- didn't do interviews, but just shook everyone's hand. And I just remember crumbling. Like I, 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 <laughs> What, dude? There's a thing about being starstruck. Like I don't get, I don't get starstruck that often, but like, you know, when I when when Kobe and I used to kick it early in our careers together, our our assistants, because of course when you become, you know, pro athletes, you have to get assistance. But our assistants at the time had gone to high school together, so like that's how the connection happened. I started doing a lot of his charity things. He started doing some of mine, and then we, you know, we were both young kids and. Southern California, trying to figure it out. Um, and so I didn't really, there wasn't too much being starstruck there. I was just like, um, but I think I had a really hard time viewing people, in particular players, especially in football, as my peers. Like there's a, like my last year of college, I was at Nike Town in Seattle during our bye week and I bought a Danny Warfel Florida Gators jersey. I'm I'm about to be the second pick in the draft and maybe win the Heisman Trophy the next year or during that year. And I'm walking around campus with a Florida Gators number seven jersey on because, you know, it's just I had a hard time. I, I'm a kid from Montana. I was never supposed to be there, right? I'm never I was never supposed to get to the NFL. I was never, you know, I use this I use this in a lot of my speeches when I start my speeches out. Like I'm the only Montanan who's ever been drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. There are more first round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. So like, like never supposed to happen, never supposed to be here. Wow. You know, so you meet these people and it's like, Oh my God. Like you wouldn't believe how many times I asked, you know, like in the off season when I was in an event where I asked for autographs from like Emmett Smith and then Steve Young and Joe Montana and all these, I have all these autographs stacked up on pictures of theirs in in my back storage room. And I'm just like, at some point I got to, I got to frame these, put them up. But at the time when I was supposed to be peers with them, you know, Emmett ended up being my teammate in Dallas. So it was just, it was weird, right? It's weird. So when you meet these people like that, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, it's Derek Jeter, you know? Dude's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. That, you know, he's, he's not, don't walk on water. Dude just did what he had to do. And, See, for uh, me, it's not so much about in, in the times in my life, in my career where I've been, you know, fortunate enough to, to meet or interview some of these Big, big global icons or stars. Sure, it's exciting. But yesterday on the golf course, whew, Ryan, you missed out. I got so starstruck. I saw an actor named Kurt Fuller. <laughs> Look up Kurt Fuller on IMDb and ask yourself, 
Would you be starstruck? And if the answer is no, that's a you problem because this man has been in so many films and those are the types of people that I get excited about. And I literally screamed, oh my God, you're the guy from No Holds Barred. Oh my God, that, that you're the guy. You're, you're, you're the, like the assistant to the mayor in Ghostbusters 2, yes. and you are a hard ass. And you gave Bill Murray a hard time. Wait, you Come were on the now. bad guy in Wayne's World? Oh my God, I'm freaking <laughs> out. And I, it's true, though. Like, I genuinely react to that type of uh, you know, celebrity or first fame time, more so than a giant. You know, first Jackman time I was saying, hey, Wolverine, how you doing? Hand to God, first time, at, uh, first time I met Richard Schiff at, at Mountain Gate and became, we've become close friends. And. We play golf, and he didn't know this, but I'm just, you know, I learned everything about politics pretty much by watching the West Wing. And, and so, you know, when I talk to him about it, of course, it's flattering for him because it's, it's, you know, it's a great, great part of his career. But he's another one of those guys, like, has been in everything. I was, I was going, I was watching Seven last night. I was in a little bit of a dark mood last night, so I was watching Seven. And um, I forgot that Richard Schiff's in it. And, uh, and all of a sudden he pops up and I'm just like, oh my, he's in everything. He's in everything. Richard Schiff probably forgot that he was in seven. He's got that kind of career where he's at the point where he's like, I think I did this. I don't know. By the way, the the movie holds just David Fincher just, but it is disturbing. And oh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was about to say, Ryan, we're not going to just gloss over the fact that you're watching seven. We got to we got to get into that and, and unpack that. What's in the box uh, coming up a little bit later in the show. And Schiff and I talk. He watches every single Nick game. He's on set in Vancouver right now shooting the good doctor. And yep. he's literally just all game long sending texts. He's all in on quickly uh, as big a Nick fan as there is in Hollywood. And I put him up there with Spike and everybody. So, all right, coming up next. We got uh, Tim Legler is going to be calling in. Legs played, of course, against Michael Jordan. It's Michael Jordan's birthday today. Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich Eyes and Jim Brown's birthday today as well. Uh, my dad's got some interesting Jim Brown stories, and, and we'll get into some of those next as well. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show to Cynthia Freeland. You know her from NFL Network. She talks all the numbers, all the data uh, that goes into football, and, and, and I know Ryan's a big fan, so we're excited to catch up with her. Plus... The most excited man in the world. There is nobody on earth more excited than our guest at 2 o'clock on the East Coast, 11 o'clock here in Los Angeles. So a big show. Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich Eisen on The Rich Eisen Show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show. We are live on a Wednesday. Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich. Ryan, I've told you it's been a challenge all week long 
to put these Knicks tweets from my buddy Tommy Beer from Forbes in my back pocket and not share them with the class. However, I'm just so overcome with excitement right now. The Knicks' next two games are against the Magic and Timberwolves, the worst two teams in the NBA. And should the Knicks win them both, Ryan, it'll be the first time since February of 2013 that they are over 500. That's you fantastic. gotta be you're a happy camper. The first time tell. they're over 500 in February since 2013. That's eight years, Ryan Leaf. Um, all right, right now Tim you Lego joins the show. I was, I was, you know how long ago that was? <laughs> I was, was, yeah, you know, I was in prison. So I mean, that's a long time ago. All right, Tim Lego. That's why we love having you on the show today, man. You can chop <laughs> it up with someone like Ryan Leaf, who says the last time the Knicks were good, he was in prison. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's tough to top that. I, I have a hard, I have a hard time topping that. I can tell you. Great to have you, man. It's Michael Jordan's birthday. I know you played against Michael throughout your career. Do you remember your first Michael Jordan encounter? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, and all of those encounters, I had the great misfortune of spending my entire career in the NBA during the decade of the 90s. I came in in 90. I left in 2000. And in that time, he won six championships. So you can imagine that entire decade was run by Michael Jordan. And I had a number of matchups against him. Yeah, I mean, the first time, obviously, you're out on the court. It's just nothing but, you know, a little bit in awe. And then I think over time, you start to, to realize this is a phenomenal opportunity because there is nothing he can do to me that he hasn't done to a lot of other people and much better players. So you start to take on this feeling of, I got nothing to lose here. And, and actually, I was always relaxed playing against him. The other thing I loved is when he guarded me, he loved to gamble. He was always leaving, you know, going, trying to rake down on the post or, He'd shoot a gap, you know, on the weak side of the floor trying to get a steal. And as a guy that shot threes, you know, you just go relocate. And if it came to me and he had too much space to recover, I could get a shot off against him. So that was always fun. But if I made a couple of them, he would tell me flat out, all right, that's it. You're done for the night. I'm not letting you get the ball anymore. <laughs> what? Yeah. Explain that one to it. When you watched him do what he did, um, the feeling that you had of, of, of relaxation because he's done it to so many others. But was there a time? Was there, do we have a picture out there of you being posterized? Like he's done to too many other people. I think I would have taken that on as like, I need to have one of those at some point to really call my NBA career a success. No, <laughs> I don't think there's anything like that out there. There, there's actually some stuff I've been able to find over the years of like, where I'm like having some success actually against, either him or those teams. There's actually one great picture I have in my house. I have a lot of stuff, um, you know, that I've held on to from my career. There's a few items. But one thing I have that I really love is a picture of he and I standing shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's taken from behind us. There's, I'm standing next to him. We're pretty much the same size. You know, Legler 23, Jordan 23. And we're having a conversation. And I remember exactly that conversation. Someone was shooting a free throw. We were standing at half court. And it was the first game after I had just won the three-point shootout All-Star Weekend in San Antonio in 96. That was the very first game we played um, after the break. And we're talking, and people see the picture, and they think, oh, man, because I got kind of a little bit of a smirk on my face. And people think, like, oh, man, is he talking mad trash to you? And I'm like, no, actually, believe it or not, he number one, he was, like, congratulating me on, on winning the three-point shootout. And he also, my daughter was born like a week before I went down there and participated in that competition, my first child. And they made a big story about that over the course of the weekend when I won it. And he actually asked me about her, you know, when are you going to get home and see that baby girl? It was a pretty cool conversation. And in that snapshot that it was taken, 
like he could have so many different contexts if you looked at it. So that is a pretty special picture to me for that reason. Tim Legler wow. joins the show. He does a great job on NBA radio, Sirius XM, Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen show. Uh, Tim, the big news, of course, this week is that Anthony Davis did not tear his Achilles. He's got a calf strain. He's going to be out for a few weeks now. Uh, what does this mean for the state of the Lakers as they head into a big marquee matchup tomorrow night against the Nets? Yeah, well, I mean, even bigger than that long term, you know, they have the great luxury of being the deepest team in the NBA, particularly at that position, because, you know, you can play LeBron at the four. You can play Kyle Kuzma there. You have Montrez Harrell, who can play four or five. You've got a num Marcus Salt. You've got a number of guys to play in the front court um, on the deepest team in the NBA. That, to be honest with you, they could take as long as they want with Anthony Davis. It was something like this: the fact that he already missed time, came back. Literally, the the, the game on Sunday, he says, "I felt 100% fine." He plays 14 minutes, and it actually resurfaces, and it's much worse than it was before. Is very alarming, I think, to to the Anthony Davis, to the Lakers, that, hey, this could be something now that we, we need to err on the side of caution to an extreme. I'm talking, if you don't see him for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, it's not going to surprise me because they're so deep. And even if they drop some games, who cares? They don't care. They don't care where they finish in the seating. It doesn't matter that, you know, first of all, home court advantage doesn't mean anything because there's nobody in the building. But even if there are by that point, Lakers don't care where they end up. They know that they're the best team in the NBA if you have a healthy Anthony Davis. So I think the big picture for them now is they've got to take as much time as they need to figure out what exactly was causing this to make sure it's not exacerbated and it's still fresh in everybody's mind what happened with Kevin Durant going out with what looked like a calf injury, uh, coming back from that, trying to play in the NBA Finals and rupturing his Achilles tendon. Obviously, they were connected and they're worried about something like that happening with Anthony Davis. So you might not see him for quite a while. Okay. So if, if that's the case, right, uh, or if, if something more uh, you know, tragic or, or happens in terms of his uh, Achilles or, or calf, give us, some, uh, give us some teams in the West then. If, if the Lakers aren't going to be the presumptive favorite, if, if Anthony Davis can't make, make the impact that he can, what other, what other teams should I be looking at kind of from a novice NBA guy? On the, on the Western Conference side? Yeah, so if you just picked up the uh, paper today, you went online and looked at the standings, and you go, you're not paying attention to the NBA to this point. You look in the West and you go, wow, look at this Utah team. That's a, they got a really good record. But you don't know what that's about. Um, if you're watching them every night, you're saying to yourself, this is legit. Like this team, for me right now, I would pick them over the Clippers in a seven-game series. Most people think the Clippers are the team that can most challenge the Lakers. I've seen enough of the Jazz. They check off every box. First of all, they play both ends. They can beat you either way by outscoring you or they can defend. That's one. Two, they've got a star scorer to build your offense around in Donovan Mitchell. He's legit. He's a 24-point game a game guy. He has arrived. He, he's doing it every night. So he's legitimately reached that star status. They've got the best backline defender in the NBA in Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year. So they've always got rim and paint protection. They've got a sixth man in Jordan Clarkson who's lighting it up. And he had 40 the other night off the bench against Philly. He's doing that at a level that the great sixth men in this league do. And the teams that win championships typically have a guy like that. So check that box. And then finally, they're shooting threes right now at a rate that's, that has not been seen in this league ever. Um, you, know, you go back to the Steph Curry days pre-Durant. You think, oh, those are the greatest shooting teams I'd ever seen, Steph, Clay, and those guys. 
They were making 13 threes a night. This team is making almost 18 a night. That's the level of shooting we're talking about. So that last component in modern NBA, do you have a stable of shooters that shoot at a high rate? They've got as many as anybody. So, and they're well coached. So for me, I'm watching the Jazz saying, wow, first I say they're the biggest threat to the Lakers. And then I say to myself, if the Lakers aren't 100% for some reason, if they had to play them in the postseason, right now what I'm saying, I'm not sure I wouldn't pick the Jazz to get all the way to the finals, potentially win a championship. They're that good. Uh, the Clippers would be the next team. And then after that, you've got some teams who are trying to figure out how good they are. Denver, Portland, Phoenix, main teams in that category. Tim Legler joins the show. Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich on the Rich Eisen Show. And you're talking about who I affectionately call the team-in-law because my wife is from Utah, so I've watched a lot of jazz basketball over the last seven years. They have continuity as well. Joe Ingles, Derek Favors coming back, Rudy, Donovan. They've got guys who have played together. Quinn Snyder's been there now for a number of years. So I think continuity is often overlooked in today's modern NBA of player mobility when it's almost like pickup or AAU and you just kind of throw teams together and see if it sticks. Kyle Kuzma being the longest tenured Laker last season, for example. So you saw Draymond Green's comments the other night about player trades and the way teams treat players. How important is continuity and chemistry when you're talking about today's NBA and the really elite teams? Yeah, it's really hard to find. I think what's changed dramatically in the NBA is everybody has a short-term window now. Everybody. Whether you're coming out as a rookie, and when I was playing in the league, you came out, you got drafted. Literally in the moment, you're not thinking about playing for any other team in your entire career. You're thinking, I get this team drafted me. This is where I'm going to be. You're focused on like making that situation as good as it can be. Now guys come out of the draft, and they're, by year two, they're thinking about their next stop. You've got star players that obviously now everything is a, is a four-year deal at most, and, and it's really a four-year deal knowing that after like two, I can force my way out of here if I need to. Um, everything is short-term windows. The, 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 you know, coaches that get hired on teams that have expectations, you better get it done in about three years or you're not going to be there. So with that being said, when you have a team – that's got some familiar faces and they get a chance to build a rhythm and continuity with not only with each other, but with their head coach, I do think it's an advantage as long as you've got enough talent. Now you can keep some teams together that aren't good enough and you're not going to win anything because you do need talent to win. But you've got that combination of all of the things I mentioned earlier and the boxes they check off with what great teams look like. And then on top of it, you add the rhythm, continuity, cohesion, and their connection to their coach. Yeah, you can build something special. And this is something that's been a progression for this team. You know, I, I love to see those teams that each year for about four years, you know, they keep inching that thing forward and moving the needle. Because those teams that appear out of nowhere overnight, they, they have a hard time sustaining it. The Miami Heat being a great example of that because they surprised everybody last year. And now it's like, okay, well, let's see if there's another gear for Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, and these guys, Kendrick Nunn. These guys that shocked us last year, let's see if there's another gear. And now the expectations um, are so massive. And if those guys can't take that leap, then you see what's happening. That team's sub 500 now. Uh, and, and, you know, they're going to they're gonna be better. But I just think that's, a, that's cold water in your face as an organization. These teams that move the needle year by year over a four- or five-year period, to me, that is a more sustainable way to go about it getting there and then staying there there near the top for a while. And I think that's where the Jazz are poised to be. 
you know, I've been being educated, of course, by Ben over the NBA the last few days hosting the show and, and the mobility, right? The the time you played in the 90s where, you know, the free agency and guys moving around and guys having more advocating for themselves and picking where they're going. I mean, what do you think of this? Uh, the fans seem to revel in it because their team gets better immediately. Some uh, longtime fans are like, you know, I want some consistency. I want you to be loyal to your team. What, what do you think about all the mobility and players changing teams to win championships and, and how this has all played out over the last probably, you know, ten, you know five to ten years? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's a great question. I think, first of all, I, I'm obviously being a former player, I'm all about players making decisions for themselves. I never question when guys, uh, you know, change teams in free agency, even in a situation like Kevin Durant. You know, you, he got ripped for that because he went to a team that he was trying to beat, couldn't beat, and then went and joined up with them, and they were already great. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with what guys, whatever decision they make as a free agent, and they want to go to even even a situation where you're going to be a free agent and you kind of force your way out. I, I I get it. Players have different reasons for wanting to do it. Okay. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean it's good for the league. I don't think it's good for the overall product of the NBA because number one, I think we've created a situation where the league is just so top heavy, more than it's probably ever been. And I don't know that the, that the fan bases around the league stay interested as much as they need to because, let's face it, there's half the teams in the NBA that are not in a market that they're ever going to be able to attract these guys to come and pair up for their team. So those teams are always going to be on the outside looking in. That's the way it's going to be. Um, and, and I think even when you draft a guy that's a top-five pick and maybe even a franchise-type changing player, well, it's one thing to draft them, you can't guarantee you can keep that guy beyond the fourth year. And it might take that long to even get to 500 if they go to a really bad team, which most of these guys do. So right about the time the organization is starting to take a turn, that guy's already thinking about going and pairing up with some other superstar, and it's not going to be in the city that drafted him. It's going to be somewhere else, and they're going to go there to give him a better chance to win. So it's great for those players. I do not think it's overall good for the quality of the league, the product that we put out there, and the overall general interest, I think. Because I think there's a lot of foregone conclusions. Like, for instance, if the Lakers stay healthy, to me, you, could, you might as well play a 15-game regular season and just start the postseason. What's the point of killing four or five months waiting for the inevitable? And I think most people feel that way. So it, the, the, the drama of how the season's going to end I think for a lot of people is not there. And so you lose a little bit of interest during the course of the year. So I guess that would be my take on it, but I'm all about the players, man. Go, you got the power to do it. Go do it. You got choices to make, make the choices that are better for you. And certainly by all means, go get as much money as you can, because it's a very finite number of years. You can do this. Tim Legler joins the show, former two guard in the NBA and NBA analyst on ESPN and Sirius XM. And and legs, I want to leave you with this one. uh, As we wrap up here, there's a name, uh, that I'm going to throw at you, somebody who I've always patterned my game after, someone that's really inspired me to go out there and compete at a high level, and that's Robin Ficker. 
Robin Ficker, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, was the That's heckler right. of the 80s and 90s. You played in front of Ficker uh, down in Washington. There are no Fickers this year. We saw the one courtside Karen down in Atlanta, and it got ugly. Yeah. But we don't have fans engaging with the players. Does that impact the game? Are you noticing that the players are playing a little differently because there aren't guys like Robin Ficker courtside screaming at them and guys like myself saying, how many Harry Potter books have you read when Ricky Rubio's on the free throw line? <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Robert Ficker. That's a great name from the past. And he, I actually got to Washington in 1995, and he was still there as a season ticket holder. And we had a function before the season, and I had just gotten there. And, of course, I knew all about him at that point. Um, uh, they'd done documentaries on this guy. for, And his thing was he was incredibly creative and clever with what he was doing and saying. So the whole league knew about him. Every player in the league knew when you came to Washington, two rows behind the visitor's bench was going to be this guy. He's an attorney, very successful in Washington, D.C., very bright guy, and he was going to come super prepared with some of the best material you've ever heard in your life and ride certain guys throughout the night. So I knew all about him, met him. It, you know, it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then for the first two years I was there, while we were still out in Landover, he still had his seat down there, and, and you can hear him as a player, even though know, he wasn't heckling our team, hearing him heckle the other guys. I mean, some of the great lines he had with some of these players, you're dying. And then I see what happened. We went down to – we changed from Bullets to Wizards. We changed the colors, the arena. We moved downtown um, to D.C. He did not renew season tickets. So Robin Ficker basically went by the wayside in 1997 from Washington, and that, that was the last great creative heckler that we had in the NBA. And there were several of them during his era that could compete with him. He was the most famous one of all. So I think the players look at it now. I think what happened was over the years – some things lines were being crossed from fans to players. I definitely believe that. And I sat there and listened to a lot of that. I caught some of it, but I heard some teammates catch it way worse, particularly star players. Lines were being crossed and they've cleaned a lot of that up at the arenas with what players are allowed to be subjected to. And I think that was a good thing um, because it was just absolutely too much, too profane, too personal, um, very, very offensive stuff. And I just, I don't, I've never bought into the mentality. I bought a ticket. I can do what I want. I've never really bought into that. Um, Ficker was in a different category because he kept it clean. He was a, it was almost like a roast. He was conducting a roast every night, and he was the host. And it, it was just hilarious stuff, and most of the players respected it and laughed at it. Um, but then people took it to another level, and they've cleaned a lot of that up. So I think for the most part, players are perfectly cool that they don't have to listen to that <laughs> interaction right now. And I think actually the whole COVID, you know, playing down in the bubble and now playing in arenas for the most part empty – I think there is – they definitely miss the electricity of the crowd, but there's also another element to this that's turned it into their AAU days again, and I think it's been fun for some of these guys to be able to do that. Um, it's a little bit less of a pressure-packed environment, and I think some of these guys have actually kind of enjoyed that, knowing that it's only temporary. we got to get these people back in the buildings at some point and get the electricity back, but in the meantime – I think the camaraderie of the team is stronger than ever because you're really in there by yourselves creating your own energy. And as a Knicks fan, a fan of one of the youngest teams in the league, I am happy that the meatpacking district is closed. Tim Legler, thanks for joining the show, my man. Keep up the great work on SiriusXM. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Loved catching up with Legs. Great stories about Robin Ficker as well. Ben Lyons <laughs> hanging out with Ryan Leaf, filling in for Rich on the Rich Eisen Show. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. 
Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Rich Eisen Show. The fact that he already missed time, came back. Literally, the the, the game on Sunday, he says, I felt 100% fine. He plays 14 minutes, and it actually resurfaces, and it's much worse than it was before. Is very alarming, I think, to to the Anthony Davis, to the Lakers, that, hey, this could be something now that we, we need to err on the side of caution to an extreme That was Tim Legler sharing his thoughts with us on the Anthony Davis situation in Los Angeles. Ben Lyons and Ryan Leaf in Los Angeles filling in for Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen Show. And we thank you so much for spending a part of your day with us, talking a little basketball with legs and and what the Lakers are going to do with Anthony Davis moving forward. I don't think we see him on a court till... April, middle of April. you You made the point, like... You said it before when, before we had even had Dr. Clapper on on Monday was, you know, hey, let him let him sit until a couple of weeks before the playoffs start. Let him get his legs back a little bit before then. But let's I mean, to Tim's point, who cares? Like Houston Rockets in the two years that uh, that Jordan wasn't playing. Right. I think they they won the title and I think they ended up being like the fifth or sixth seed the next year. And Elijah wanted that crew still walked through and won it again. I I believe. Yeah, I the the Rockets were a six seed in '95 when they when they won their second of two titles in a row. Right, You're absolutely so, right. They're in a different class now, uh, and they're playing for different things. Yes. Yeah, so if they are a six seed, and, and to his point, you know, home home court advantage doesn't you know this year doesn't mean anything. It does mean something in the fact that you're familiar with the like your court. You play 40, 41 games on that court, so there's some familiarity that than they are from bouncing around from other place to other place, but. Uh, it's not the same this year in terms of having to go into a rabid, you know, a field house where, where people are on top of you. Yeah, I, I, I think there is something to be said, though, for routine. Athletes, as you know, are creatures of habit. So the idea of sleeping in your own bed, going to your own practice facility, kind of having your at-home routine, if you have family, you're around them, that that can be advantageous. But you're right. It's not like you're going on the road into Oklahoma City and they've given out a million blue and white thunder sticks. Like, it's yep. definitely not that this year. Um, you know, but here's the thing with the Lakers, Brian. Let's say Anthony Davis just didn't exist. So let's say he was still down in New Orleans. 
give me LeBron James, Montrez, Schroeder, like Caruso. That that team should should go to the the Western Conference Finals. Like LeBron has, t- has turned Mo Williams into an All Star over the years. He went to the NBA Finals. Look up the 2007 roster that NBA, that LeBron went to the Finals with. Look up the 2017 roster that LeBron went to the Finals with. I mean, he's taken. Some real Schmendrakes to the promised land. I mean, in night and seriously, like in 2015, when Kevin Love was hurt and Kyrie went down with the bum knee, the second highest scorer in the NBA Finals for the Cleveland Cavaliers was once a Nick, always a Nick, Timofey Mozgov, and that's when Matthew Delavadova became a household name. Like LeBron can, he can, you know, make a, a, a five star meal by going to the to the Seven Eleven and and you know brazing some Slim Jim. Like he can really like. He's a magician when it comes to putting this together. And I think even in year 18 in MVP season, he alone is enough to lead them without Anthony Davis. So they should be fine. I, I agree. And, and, and that's why he reminds so much people so much of Kobe Bryant, of Michael Jordan, because these other, he made other players around him so much better. That's the, that's the true like, sign of leadership and, and greatness is that you can uh, take anything and anybody – and, and make them part of something special. And that's what he's been able to do throughout his career. I mean, getting to the finals in Cleveland, many of those times is you're just like, I mean, you know, but you at some point you got to have a nut, you have to have a complimentary piece to get over the top. And if they don't have them, it's going to be, it's going to be problematic. And that's why I asked him that question about, okay, so if the Lakers can't be the Lakers this year, who in the West? And and I'm glad I heard the Utah Jazz because oh, the team in law is exciting, Ryan. Let me tell you, I, I've been watching some Utah Jazz basketball for about seven, eight years now since I've known my wife. She's by no means a diehard fan. She of course remembers the glory days of Stockton to Malone, but that's kind of where the Jazz conversation stops. However, I've used this as an opportunity to now watch more basketball. I'll say. Oh, the Jazz are on. I got to watch the Jazz. We're going to take the, the Jazz are on. Jazz. You know I got to. Hey, you know I got to. We're in town gotta, with the in-laws. I got. We got to go to the you know the, the events. And it's great for it's you because they're they're a mountain team. So you're you're talking about. I can watch the Knicks before and then watch the Jazz after. I get it. I get where it's you're going. It's been fantastic, and they've yeah. been fantastic. And I made that point about continuity as a big reason for this success. Having the same guys, same coach. For a, a, just even three years in the NBA is somewhat of a novelty now. I mean, look at the job that Steve Nash has been tasked to do in Brooklyn. Hey, we'll give you three of the best players, but one might not be in the lineup because of COVID. One might not be in the lineup because of his mental. The others, role players, haven't done it before. And, oh, yeah, you've never been a head coach. Go and figure it out. And I think that's why they've had a couple, you know, missteps along the way, although they get a great win in Steve Nash's homecoming last night. Ben Lyons and Ryan Leaf filling in for Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen Show. But the idea of LeBron in year 18 doing what you said about leadership, making everyone in the organization better. That security guard guarding the player's interest, he's going to have it on lockdown a little bit more when he sees King James walk through the locker room. And that's such a real thing. From your career, you were around Junior Seau. Like, how is he able to elevate everyone else, not just with his own greatness, but that inspiration to get people to be their best? Because he was, because he, he outworked everybody, and I think that's the biggest thing. You watch Kobe outworked everybody. You watch LeBron, and Michael Jordan. They just outworked everybody. They were there first. You fought, like if if Junior Seau is there at six a.m. How how can I afford to be there at six o five? Right? I better, I, you know, I, I better try harder, um, it, because he's the best player and he works the hardest. And so you follow in suit. And then he was just such a breath of fresh air in terms of how he interacted with everybody when it came to the security guard, to 
the equipment manager. He taught me a lot on how to treat the guys that really take care of you in the in the facility, and and that was that was really the equipment managers, uh, the, the athletic trainers, the people that you spend more time, the strength and conditioning coaches. Those are the guys you spend all your time with. You you rarely spend a lot of time with your coaches. They're off game planning, getting ready. These are the guys that take care of you. And I remember when I was in Dallas and I got down there. I remember I showed up one night. And we were watching the national championship of college football. And I just brought in a bunch of pizzas for the equipment managers. And we all sat around and watched Nebraska-Miami playing the Rose Bowl. And, and that, that, for me, was what it was all about. That's what it was all about. Well, I man, got taught. Junior taught me. Yeah. Now, you, you had the privilege of playing with Junior Seau, an all-time great. And I want to, coming up next, get some more stories from your playing days. Because we've talked a lot about the NFL as it is today. But I do want to look down memory lane a little bit. Because you do such a great job of sharing your story and inspiring so many people. That's something I've really learned about you this week and hanging out over these days is that there are so many people, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, who look to you for inspiration and seek advice. So we're going to get into some of that next. You can hit us up 844-204-RICH and talk to, talk to Ryan and look for some life advice. So we'll get into that next. Plus, we got Cynthia Freeland coming up in about 20 minutes who's going to break down all the numbers behind the NFL. It's Ben Lyons and Ryan Lee filling in for Rich on the Rich Eisen Show.